and thank you for tuning in to The Minority Report, a podcast dedicated to highlighting minority voices. I'm your host, Gabby Ostad, and today we'll be welcoming Mr. Teo Roxon, a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert. I had the pleasure of hearing Mr. Roxon speak this past summer, and as soon as he presented his clear step-by-step approach to combating societal hatred, which he will explain to you later, I knew he would be a perfect fit for my podcast. His energy and enthusiasm are contagious, and I'm so honored to have this opportunity to speak with him today. This episode will show how a person can use their voice to make a difference and show a man's dedication to improving human relations by transforming changemakers into global leaders by teaching them how to communicate effectively across cultures, on stage, and with impact. Mr. Roxon. Thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to meet with me. I'm so excited for our conversation. Thank you for having me, Gabby. The pleasure is mine. And I I remember giving that presentation and I'm just honored that it inspired you to reach out because from what I've heard, sounds like you've got amazing things to do in the world. So I'm just happy to share what I know and looking forward to building a better world together. Thank you. Mr. Oxit. You have lived all around the world and in more than half the world's continents. Can you please share about your upbringing? Absolutely. So I'm Nigerian, for those listening, and uh, I spent the first nine years of my life in and out of two military dictatorships in Nigeria. And before we transitioned to civilian rule, you know, a lot of my thoughts were centered around those oppressive regimes. I wondered why people couldn't be who they wanted to be or be who they were. And I, I would ask my dad and mom all these questions and they would you know, be a little terrified at the, <laughs> the curiosity that I had because at that time it was, you know, you had to be mindful of what you were saying around who. And so I'd be like, don't say that, dad, don't say that. <laughs> but that was where the seeds were planted. And I remember studying Nelson Mandela then because he was the one that I could, you know, relay my interest to. But after that, in 99, we transitioned to civilian rule. And with civilian rule, you know, there was more freedom to do uh, a lot of things. And my dad's job as a diplomat started to take him to different parts of the world. And then my, my worldview started to shift. And I found myself growing up in five countries and four continents by the time I was 17 turned 18. So that was a, a lot of my, you know, my background. But with my background, obviously, my career was formed and, and how I see the world became the focus of my life. That's a fact you don't hear from many people that they've had that opportunity. Yes. (laughs) As a follow-up to that question, did you ever feel like there were moments that you did not fit into your own environment? And if so, how did you find ways to make yourself comfortable? Absolutely. So I remember being this skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country in an American international school going through puberty. This was 10 years old. (laughs) And I I felt very different. At that age, you know, all you want to do is not fit out. You want to fit in. And essentially, I felt like I sounded different. I looked different. My food was different. I was honestly ashamed. You know, I I had to come to a point where I was realized I was ashamed of myself. And I was doing a lot of things to, you know, make myself less noticeable. I even used to go by my last name. So my first name is Tayo, which is short for Akintayo. And I remember feeling this weird sense of pride that my last name was English sounding. And obviously now I'm I'm proud of my name, but that is something that I I had to unlearn. For some reason, I I wasn't proud of my heritage at that point because I felt like it made me stand out more. 
And I, I was like, just call me Roxon. And just call me Roxon. And, and for a little bit, I went by Roxon until I took back my identity. And I started saying, no, my name is Tayo. You should call me Tayo. And Tayo means joy. And the full name, Akintayo, means a warrior's brother's joy. So during those moments, what I did to find a way to fit in was I became a very good observer of my environment. And I, I would look around to see what was happening. I know you heard this story in my TEDx talk, but I noticed that the people who were playing sports, which is something I enjoy, were playing basketball. And so I started studying the game. So I figured if I learned how to play basketball, I could make more friends. So I studied the history of the game, the current events, the fundamentals. And then once I, I was well-versed in, in those games and knew the history and all the players, I started to figure out how to apply those skills into the court. And so I went to one of my friends now, Michael Albright, and I asked him if he could teach me. And our one-on-ones became two and twos, three and threes, four and fours, five and fives. And from that experience, what I always tell people to do is, it doesn't have to be sports or anything, but always see if you can look at a big picture of an environment you're in and the small picture. So how can you understand why people do things and how people do things? And then how can you physically embed yourself to apply those things? Because it's one thing to understand something from an application point of view, then it's another thing to practice. And, and that allows you to build community, but it's also around an interest you like. So if there's something that you're passionate about, music, sports, food, how can you, sorry, that's New York City in the background. No worries, <laughs> I have it too. How can you create uh, a community around that and interact with people based on that interest? So I, I just engaged with people on my interests. That's so nice. Well, because you brought up sports, I have to ask, what's your favorite sport to play? <laughs> it is basketball still. I, I, you know, my top three sports are basketball, it's football, but it's soccer uh, here. And tennis. So those, those are my three. And uh, I'm a huge LeBron fan, so I'm very happy. You must be happy about the current situation yeah. now with them winning yeah. the championship. Absolutely. Your dad was a diplomat. How did his position influence your desire to pursue your present career? So right now, what I do is I'm an author, speaker, consultant, and professor around the field. So I run a diversity and inclusion firm, and I go around companies and institutions basically working on different ways to dismantle systems of oppression. And I also do research in the field. And the way it influenced it was when you find yourself as the minority everywhere you go, and this is the minority report, minority everywhere you go, even within your own country when you come back, you find that you need to build a level of cultural competence to understand those environments. And so with my dad's job, when he got posted, I would always look at how he was establishing relationships because I wanted to model those things to do the same in my environments. And it influenced him in such a way that as I was doing those things that my dad would do to gather intel, I started to see the problems that existed. And I also started to understand the privilege that I had from the vantage point that I was able to see the world. And I wanted to make sure that in each of these places I traveled, everyone could get to have that benefit of being able to, to fully be themselves. So if I didn't have my dad's experience, I wouldn't have been able to have an expanded worldview. And I wouldn't have been able to see the world the way I do. It's so nice that from his position, it led you to explore the world and ultimately pursue your career. Mr. Yes. Oxen, you refer to the art of diplomacy in your talks and lectures. Can you please yes. explain the art of diplomacy and share how it can be used? That's a great segue. You're really good at this. So we just <laughs> talked about uh, my dad being a diplomat and, and, and me observing his work. So the art of diplomacy is essentially three things from my perspective. And it's learning how to collect and gather information, being an active listener and being an active member of your community. 
you think about diplomacy and diplomats, their job is to go into different countries or wherever they're posted to, and they're instrumental in forging beneficial relationships between the countries on a financial level, immigration level, multiple levels, right? And that's foreign relations. In order to do that, though, first step is to learn how to collect and gather information. A lot of what I was doing with that basketball story that I shared was collecting and gathering information. And for people to do that, I ask people to really reflect on what makes people smile, frown, flock together. What are those things? It really involves you looking at those things and seeing why uh, and understanding why those things matter. Because when you can get to the core of things that trigger emotions in people, you start to get to the core of things that are important to people. And as you are able to understand the things that are important to people and their values, you're then able to really connect with someone. So learning how to collect and gather information. And then another way is to be an active listener. That's the second way. To be an active listener, you need to learn how to listen, to understand, to evaluate. And, you know, it's not listening to respond. And listening to understand and evaluate is essentially having the ability to continue that gathering information to let that person invite you into the world. So an example of questions you can ask would be, tell me about your experience with such and such. What was it like growing up, you know, in this environment? As opposed to, you must like this food, right? Because you're from here, right? That's a leading question. And a lot of times we, we do that and it confirms our own biases or it doesn't create an opportunity to learn. So being an active listener as you ask those open-ended questions gives you little insights into things that make people feel whole or things that make them feel excited. And then the other part is being an active member of your community or your community. So we're in voting season now. And a lot of times people say that's a civic responsibility. But one of the things about being an active member of your community is getting really to understand how the same set of rules can affect different sets of people, what people's lived experiences are like. How can you do that if you're not being an active member of your community? So what are the places you can volunteer in? What are groups you can be part of? I always encourage people to be to find groups that they can be a minority in on a weekly basis. And this stems from my experience being a diplomatic kid, right? I didn't have a choice essentially being the minority where I was because of my dad's job, which just I was at to move. But there was benefit in that because despite some of those tough experiences of identity crisis, I was able to expand my worldview. And that's exactly why it's important to, you know, to be an active member of your community because you find out different ways to do something that you might have done. So in summary, it's learn how to collect and gather information, essentially finding your inner Sherlock, like I like to say, be an active listener and be an active member of your community. Thank you so much for sharing that powerful insight. You know, you mentioned being the minority in certain situations and I am not of French descent, but my friends in school have a like French culture club. And I go there and I'm one of the few people who are not French, but huh. it's really cool to get to learn their culture and see where they came from and everything. So I totally Absolutely. agree with that. <laughs> hey, but speaking of French, have you seen uh, that Netflix show, Emily in Paris? It's on my list, actually. It keeps coming up <laughs> on the what to watch. <laughs> I'll be curious. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting perspective, but yeah, yeah. All right, cool. I can't wait to check that out. Mr. Oxen, in today's society, we see people at constant odds with one another with regards to their political beliefs and social beliefs. Now Mm -hmm. imagine if you had the entire country's attention, how would you propose that they live in harmony? How can they establish cultural awareness towards one another? 
Well, that's a big question, Gabby. <laughs> and I put this in my book, but I think the framework for that is educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. And I'll explain if the audience will allow me. So for educate, I believe that true education is IQ, EQ, and CQ. That's intelligence, quotient, cultural intelligence, and emotional intelligence. Essentially, what we're after here is education of self and education of environment. In order to first understand how to change the world, impact the world, and be cross-cultural, you need to understand yourself and how you see the world. So when I, when I was talking about education of self, think about what your biases are, your triggers are, and your values. We have biases because of four reasons, story, fear, avoidance, or security. Story could be based on uh, a religion or a philosophy or something that's been passed on to you or maybe a media you've been exposed to. Fear is maybe you've had repeated experiences with a group of people and, and it's made you fearful. Maybe someone you know has had, has had that. Avoidance, you want to avoid a difficult topic because it makes you uncomfortable and because you're ignorant about it. And security, a way for you to feel better about yourself. And I, I encourage people to reflect on the source of that because, you know, bias doesn't make you good or bad. It just informs how you see the world. And it's important to reflect on that because if you're not able to assess how you understand these things, then it, it's going to be a problem because then you're just going to be performative. Then I want you to think about your lived experiences as well as your, your exposure levels. So who are your three closest friends? Where are the last three places you lived in? And if you're old enough, who are the last three relationships you've had? Very important for you to understand this because many people are more reactive as opposed to reflective. And a lot of times they don't really reflect on how they see the world or why they believe something to be true. The combination of reflecting on your biases and your prejudices gives you insights onto what triggers you and why you see the world the way you see the world. When you're able to articulate why you see the world the way you see the world, there's a certain power in that. Now, some people will go through this exercise and they realize that they don't actually understand why they see the world the way it is. In fact, they're just conditioned. And when you feel like you're just conditioned, it's time to be more intentional because otherwise you're just being uh, part of the problem. So that level of understanding your biases, triggers is important. And then the last part of the self-awareness part is understanding your values. I encourage everyone to have at least five core values and find a way to feed those values every day. Mine are courage, compassion, curiosity, creativity, and joy. As you do those things, you're going to inevitably meet people from different backgrounds who share those passions. You said French earlier. You're going to meet people who love French. And those, uh, I imagine you have, you, you, one of your values feeds into that. So that, and then the education of environment is exactly what the art of diplomacy was, which we just talked about, which is learning how to collect and gather information, being an active member of your community and being an active listener. Once you're aware of that, it's time to go to don't perpetuate. Perpetuation of systems of oppression is why we have a lot of these problems we have in today's world. And it leads to two definitions of freedom. Some people believe freedom is the idea of more power without accountability. And some people have, believe freedom is the idea of being able to be themselves without punishment. More power without accountability, being yourself without punishment. Two different definitions, but there's a big chasm in there. And as you start to look at ways not to perpetuate, you begin to understand that the most important things to understand are identity, privilege, and power dynamics. So, most of us like to be viewed and judged based on multiple levels of identity. We don't want to be say, I'm just a white woman or I'm just a black man. Our identity is visible and invisible. How can you get those other invisible things outside in the systems? How can we 
get people to tell you and invite you into the world. It's very important for that because many decisions are made on assumptions made on the things that are visible without people getting to know the nuance of people. You understand that, then you start to look at privilege. I know many people don't like the term privilege, but I invite everyone to reflect on the privilege. It's basically what gives you access to things that other people might not have. Privilege can be earned and unearned, and you can also be simultaneously privileged and oppressed. But when you acknowledge your privilege, you're able to see the world and opportunities that exist. So for me, I'll give you ways I'm privileged and marginalized. I'm a man, so I live in New York City. I can walk by the street without worrying about being catcalled you know, at, at 9 p.m. I'm relatively tall, 6'1". People always make assumptions about height. You know, I have an education. I was able to grow up in different parts of the world. On the marginalized side, I, you know, as a Nigerian, I always know what it's like for me to go to an airport. I've had the Ahmad robbery incident happen to me. I've had multiple microaggressions made against me. And those two things can be the same thing. But because I'm also able-bodied and a man and all these things, I now know that when I'm involved with certain things, I can start encouraging people to say, hey, put subtitles, right? Because not everybody is able-bodied or not everybody can hear. Or, you know, hey, why are you making fun of that accent? That doesn't mean it's not intelligent. That's what your privilege does. It allows you to see the world through more and you start advocating for more people. And then depending on the power dynamics, you understand. And the last part for the world is to learn how to communicate with people that have different values from you. And that is essentially learning how to open dialogue. A lot of times we immediately shut down or we choose not to engage. And the problem with that is that people end up remaining in their echo chambers. So if you're looking to find ways to open dialogue with someone that has different values from you, always find a way to come up with a bigger picture and find out what people like. At our our very least, at our core, Everyone wants to be seen, heard, and understood for who they really are, right? Start there. What ways can we see you, understand you for who you really are? And everybody wants to feel like they're protected. Start there and then build from there. And then if it's a safe environment, start to say, okay, I've heard you, and then reiterate what they said. Is this what you mean? Now, can I share my point of view? Now, you might not agree at the end of the day, but then understanding of where both of you are coming from is very important. And, and I think a lot of people are either too eager to prove their points as opposed to getting that and moving there. Lastly, there are some exceptions to that. Obviously, there are people that are engaged in hate speech or people that are just not <laughs> interested in your, in your limits. And I encourage you to have your boundaries around that. But if you're able to engage, choose to, because there's a lot to be learned. So educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. This line that you just mentioned, as soon as you said it the first time, it put a smile on my face because I recall you saying that when I heard you speak this summer. And to be honest, it stuck with me, the rhyming scheme of it. And I'm always like, when I think of you, this line comes to my mind immediately. And also, thank you for sharing your personal stories. Oh, it's my pleasure. Sorry, I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories. (laughs) As a follow-up to that, Why do you feel that people today are having trouble treating others equally? You know, I think people feel threatened. I think people are afraid and they don't understand that having a relationship with something that's different from you doesn't mean a threat to your identity. You know, my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. It's the title of the book I wrote. And I wrote it because I wanted people to change their relationship with anything different. If you look at throughout history, we've had wars because of difference. Different religion, different gender, different this. We create policies around that. And when people don't understand that something different doesn't mean it's a threat against you, it becomes a problem. And so when people are saying, 
wow, that's how you see love? That Does that threaten my love? No. Are you going to infect my children? No. And that's why, by the way, I had everyone start from that self-awareness piece. A lot of what happens when we see something different is that our biases get triggered. Biases that we have not reflected on, most of us. And then because we are more conditioned as opposed to intentional, we're not doing that active thing of saying, hey, why do I think like this? Why is this bothering me? We're just, oh, no, that's wrong. Oh, that's not the way to do it. And, and it's a problem. So that's, that's why. I don't think people are truly reflecting on things that they think and why they think about it. Uh, I think people are just reacting. You're one step ahead of me. I was just about to get to your book now. So, <laughs> now shifting to what you have created. What were your inspirations behind your book, Use Your Difference to Make a Difference, and your podcast, As Told by Nomads? What do you hope your audience learns from them? I'll start the podcast. The podcast started in 2014, August, and I, it was at a time when, you know, I just left Virginia. I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my career because I was really wanting to do something along these lines, and I was getting my MBA at Fordham. And I figured I, I would launch a podcast to get more stories told. I wanted to tell the world that the identity, global identity could be embraced. And I wanted to bring up people who grew up in multiple backgrounds to show that. And as I was doing the podcast while going to school, it became very, very interesting for me to get emails from people old, much older than me and younger than me who were saying, this is the first time I felt seen. Oh, thank you for getting this story. And it gave me an insight into just how little we expand stories of, of identity. And so I kept it and I've, I've been doing it every weekend. It seems expanded into business as well, but I like to bring people who are not afraid to go against traditional stories just so that we can make that the norm. I think there are great things about tradition, but there are also toxic things about some traditions that we preserve. And I want people to feel brave enough to be themselves. And then for the book, I'm, you know, as you can hear, I love telling stories. I've always been a storyteller. And I became very intentional about the book after having a talk, the talk that I have, you know, where I just educate, don't perpetuate, it's like communicate. I remember giving a talk and consistently a bunch of people were asking me where my book was. And I was like, I mean, I have a book idea, but I don't know if people want to buy it. And I'm like, no, you should really get it. I, I want, I, I'll give my grandkid. And I started pursuing editors and, and I, I basically said, hey, this is my idea. These framework, educate, perpetuate, and communicate, and I can write something on this. I've already given a speech on it. What do you think? And so, yeah, that became a, a year-long journey of, of getting that idea into publishers, and luckily one took a chance on me. That's awesome. I've had the Thanks. pleasure of listening to your podcast, and I found it very insightful. So, But after all the early applications for college are done, I will get your book and read it. It's on my list of things to yeah. do. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that, Gabby. So would you say that you hope your audience takes away the fact that they have the power to make change in the world? Yes. And it starts in your backyard and between your two ears. Right? A lot of times people think that to change the world, you need to do something grand. And that certainly exists. But if you understand your mindset and you understand that you have an influence, brother, sister, family, mother, father, and you commit to learning, unlearning, and relearning, you're never going to stop changing the world. Because even, let's look at the way this podcast came about. You said you heard a talk, you reached out, right? And then you started, you have created this, this podcast, which is reaching, you know, is being heard by multiple people. It's the same sort of thing that can happen. We never know who's watching us, 
right? And each of us are going to end up in certain systems, schools, families, wherever. And we're going to inevitably influence other people. If we're not working on ourselves and we're not being the people that we know we can be the best versions of ourselves, we are going to inevitably affect that environment positively or negatively. That's how the world becomes the way it is. So absolutely. Cool. Thank you. Mr. Oxen, it is evident from our conversation, and I mentioned this before, but you are a captivating and engaging speaker. What advice would you give to people looking to be effective public speakers? Well, a structure is always a good idea. I teach communication at uh, Felician, and I always tell people to know the so what and the now what of the speech. So what, when I say so what, so why should I care? And then the now what? Now that I care, what do I do? That is essentially where you're guiding your, your audience to. You're guiding them from the so what to the now what. And your job as a speaker is you're a guide. You know, you're getting them from one point to another. Once you know that, right, you, you know, for example, my book, how, to, how can people communicate effectively across cultures? And then I was guiding them from educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. Now, once you have that, it's very important to have a, a framework or an outline because an outline will, will save your life. My outline was those three things. And in those outlines, you want... If it's your first point, what is a story that supports it? What are examples to support it? Damn. And then you can close it, reiterating what the point is. Same thing for the second thing. Story, example, example stories, blah, blah, blah. And then as you close, effective speeches always have action points or action items or you know, a call to action. What is the call to action? So if you start thinking about it that way, big idea, what I want the audience to get and, and then understanding your outline, you find that you'll be filling in those blanks a lot easier. I will be using those tips next time I have to speak <laughs> in public, although due to the current climate, I think it will be on Zoom. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it will be. But you're, you're already getting ahead of this because as you're going to be doing more podcast interviews, you're going to start finding that you know, you're going to be great at organizing people's thoughts, putting ideas together, coming up with themes for the episode. And that's just going to be good at, at public speaking as well. Thank you. No problem. And lastly, what advice yeah. would you give someone looking to pursue social justice for a specific minority? Well, there's nothing wrong with education. I think <laughs> if you think about minorities and people in marginalized groups, a lot of the stories aren't being told. That is the the core of, of a lot of these things. And because of that, they you know essentially marginalized. And learning how to tell those stories and to whatever audiences you have and giving them, centering them, you know, platforms where, hey, can you come educate such and such? I would love to learn more about this. It's that attitude of constant learning, understanding you're a listener and understanding that within your communities, you can expand stories and correct stereotypes and things like that. That would be the best thing. But awareness doesn't stop there. If you want to get the change, it leads to action. I know I said this to you all that day. Awareness plus action equals change. So always think about that. Then you'll be able to get to where you need to be. I have to say this, but when I took notes on you speaking, I wrote those words together and put an equal sign. Yes, I did that too. I did that too. I have it. <laughs> equals That's change, so yes. funny. Yeah. Mr. Oxen, thank you so much for taking your time to speak with me today. Your work has helped bring so many people together and your insight continues to make the world a better place. I'm inspired by the work you do. And honestly, as you were speaking, my brain was like looking for ways of how I could implement your advice <laughs> in my day-to-day -day life. 
I look forward to using what I learned from today's conversation, and I know my listeners will too. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. Thank you for having me. Keep doing what you're doing. I know it's going to make an impact. And thank you to all of my listeners for tuning into this episode of The Minority Report. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at The Minority Report 2020. And lastly, stay tuned for future episodes.